Good morning, everybody. Hope you guys are having a great day so far. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, or your phones with the Bible on them, if you could, uh, turn to Luke chapter 15, and we're going to be reading verses 1, I mean 11 through 32. If you have your uh, notebooks also, it would be good to take notes. You can use your phones for that, or a physical notebook. And if uh, you don't have your Bible this morning, we got it on the screen for you, so you can look up there and follow along with us. It will be Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. This is what it says. Verse 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son who got, uh, got together all he had is set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a a citizen in that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father... I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants, one of the servants, and asked him, What's going on? Your brother came home, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But but when the son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes and come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray this morning. Dear God, we thank you so much for uh, this day where we're able to gather together as a church and I'll open up your word together uh, and, and learn from it and, and hear your word. And uh, God, I'm thankful that we could take communion together and uh, remember what your son Jesus did for all of us on the cross, dying for us so that we could be cleansed and washed clean. And, and God, as we get ready to, to, to dive into your word and study it, I pray that you would silence all the distractions in our lives, all the, the things that are going on that could take attention away from you, God. And I pray that you would open up our hearts I pray that you open up our minds so that we could receive your word. And I pray that you would speak this morning. So speak, God. And it's in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. The prodigal son. 
uh, a term I know many of us have uh, said before. Uh, some of us jokingly have said the prodigal son, when somebody comes home who's been away for a long time, we say, oh, the prodigal child has returned. Uh, we might have heard this term, the, the prodigal son, in a movie. But this, fa- this phrase, prodigal, has taken on the meaning of a wanderer. Someone who has left home and returned after being away for some time. But, originally, that's not what prodigal meant. Like, we use this term as someone who's coming back home, someone who's been wandering away. But that originally, that's not what it meant. A prodigal is really someone who squanders away things. Someone uh, who, who squanders money away and is not a wanderer. It literally refers to somebody who wastes money. That's something I learned this week from studying this passage. A, a, a prodigal is someone who just wastes money. Now, before getting into this parable, we should take a moment and understand why Jesus is even telling this parable in the first place, and who are the people that are listening to Jesus tell this parable. If you go back to the very beginning of chapter 15 in Luke, in verses 1 and 2, it says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus is going around, he's doing his ministry, he's going around performing miracles, he's teaching, and as he's teaching, uh, he has gathered a crowd of people who come out to listen to him. And the people that are here listening to him while he's telling this parable uh, are kind of from the cultural outs of the society. They are the kind of the fringe of the society that are here listening to Jesus. The people who were listening to him tell this parable would have been known sinners. Kind of like in like our community. We know those people that are like, oh, you know, that's just you know, so-and-so. That's just what they do. That's, they, 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 they're a sinner. They do this stuff. So they're known sinners. Um, and there's also, it says there are tax collectors that are there listening to him. who They lived obvious sinful lives. And they were hated by the society. So you have these... These known sinners, these known tax collectors that everybody hates, and they're gathering to listen to Jesus. And these are the kinds of people that are gathering there, and it says the Pharisees and the the religious leaders saw this and they heard this, and it says uh, they hated it. They were grumbling at the fact that they were going and listening to Jesus. And they know, like Jesus is going around, he's preaching about God. And so they're listening to Jesus, and they see who's with them. And they're like, this guy is going on preaching, and these sinners are just with him. And he accepts them. And like He lets these dirty, sinful people listen to him. And then it says that Jesus even sits down with them, and he eats meals with them. And in this society, in this, this time, in this community, uh, eating with some, somebody was very intimate. It wasn't like you just go off and get... McDonald's or Taco Bell with somebody after church and you go out to eat after church and you just talk about stuff and, and you talk about your day and you just go on and keep living. No, to, to eat with somebody at this time was a super intimate thing for somebody to do. So they see Jesus eating with these unclean people and they're like, what is he doing? And so Jesus begins to speak in parables. And in this instance, he tells three parables all about something that was lost and then found. You have one parable about the lost sheep. 
who later then was found. The second parable that we see in Luke chapter 15 is the parable of the lost coin that was found. And then we come to this last parable, the parable of the prodigal son. Well, we're not hearing about a lost item like a coin or a lost animal like a sheep. We're hearing about a lost human. And it's a beautiful parable. It starts out with a father who has two sons. And the, youngest, the younger son comes to the father. And in verse 12, if you want to look there with me, it says, The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now we need to understand that in Jewish societies, a family inheritance was something that was governed by certain laws and practices that they would have followed. The older son, the oldest son of the family, would have gotten a double portion of whatever the father owned. Or in other words, the older son would have gotten two-thirds of whatever the father had, and the next son in line, the youngest son, would have gotten one-third of whatever his father had. And so by the son going up to his father and saying, hey, give me uh, my share of the state, he's basically saying, hey, dad, I don't really want to wait for you to die can you just give me what you're going to give me when you do actually die? I got some plans I want to do. Uh, I want to go out and like do whatever I want with my life and spend the money however I want to do it. And I just, I just don't feel like waiting, Dad. Now, in any parable that we read, that Jesus tells, the characters in the parable become illustrative. In a way, they become you and I in these stories. They, reserve, they resemble certain characteristics and certain attitudes that many of us have at times. And obviously, we can see that this younger son is a picture of a person who wants to go their own way. The person who wants to run after the desires of the flesh. And sometimes, many times, I think we have all done this. Or we've all said, you know what, I know best, God. I'm going to do what I think is best for me to do. But what's really interesting is look how the father reacts to the son. At the end of verse 12, it says, So he divided up his property between them. Now, this is not what I would have expected the dad to do, the father to do. Like when the son comes up and says, Hey, dad, give me my stuff. I don't want to wait for you to die. I imagine that the father would have been like, Wait a second, son. You don't know what you're doing. You're about to make some really dumb choices. So let me, let me give you some wisdom. Let me stop you from doing this. Maybe give him some advice. Uh, but no, it says the father just divides it up and he gives the inheritance to the younger son. And remember, Jesus, everything that Jesus says is, is important. So what are we supposed to think about the father just giving the inheritance to the son? Like we said Everything represents something else in the story. The son is obviously a son who wants to, uh, somebody who wants to go their own way. And the father is a representative of God. And so we have Jesus sitting here telling this parable. The son of God telling the people a story of a father and a story. A human father, the son going up to him saying, hey, I want my inheritance. And it says the father just lets him have it. And it's interesting. If nothing else, I think this shows us just how the amazing freedom that God gives His children. Free will. 
We have the free choice to make whatever decision that we want to make, even when we are acting selfishly. God's going to let us make that decision. Think about some of the decisions that you've made in your own life. Some of the unwise decisions. I think about when I was younger and I was still living at home and uh, a teenager thinking I knew everything. I had all the wisdom of the world. I knew best. And my parents, they kind of gave me guidelines. And when I was in a situation, like I was getting upset, my, my dad would come up to me and be like, Zach, I understand how you feel. I know exactly how you feel. And this is what you should do. And then I would be like, what do you mean you know how I feel? You're not me. I am myself. I have my own feelings, Dad. I got my own brain, my own situations. You have no idea how I feel. You can't tell me what to do. And of course, we sometimes rebel against our parents when we were younger, and we rebel even as adults in different ways. And so uh, we make these bad decisions sometimes, and God just lets you. He lets you make these decisions, letting you walk down the path that you think with all your wisdom is the best for you. One of the reasons he allows us to do this is because of the God-given free will that all of humanity has. The free will that makes us uniquely human. That's that's what makes us human. That's something that God gave to us. And just because we're going to make bad choices sometimes, that doesn't mean God's going to remove that from us. When he created us, when he created Adam and Eve, he made humanity in his own image. And I don't think that means that we look like God, but that God gave us certain elements that only God could give humanity. Because God is free and God is completely without restraint. He is the only one who could truly give us freedom, free will. And just because we make bad decisions sometimes, that doesn't mean He's just going to take away our free will. Because He's a loving Father. An unloving Father would be a Father who doesn't give you choices. Like a dictator. God is not a dictator. He is going to give you the freedom to do whatever you want. whichever, Whichever path that you want to go down. So, the son comes up to the father and says, Hey, I want my inheritance. The father divides it up. And he gives it to the younger son. And in verse 13 it says, Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth with wild living. So it says he packs up his stuff, and he leaves. And says he leaves for a distant country, far away from his father who loves him. Now the son, I don't think just came up with a plan to do this in one day. I don't think he just woke up one day and was like, you know what? I'm going to go tell Dad, give me his stuff, and I'm going to head out. I believe that this was a plan all along that he had. And this is what happens between you and I sometimes. We don't just randomly wake up one day and say, you know what? I feel like being addicted to things. No, it takes time. It doesn't just happen one day. I mean, sometimes it can happen faster than other people. But you don't just wake up one day and say, you know what? I'm going to just completely throw my life in the trash. You don't just wake up one day and say, you know what? I hate God. (laughs) You know, I'm just going to turn against him and, and just walk away from him and do whatever I want to do. God knows that when we set out on our own way, it has already been growing in our hearts. That thing that we 
did. It is something that has been churning in our minds and our hearts for a while now. And that physical act of rebellion is simply just evidence of what is truly in our hearts. And now that we can see it. It's a heart problem that we have. Not a physical heart problem. Not a medical heart problem. But a spiritual heart problem. And the action of turning against God is a product and evidence of that heart problem. Verse 13, if you look with me, it says, Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and squandered his wealth and wild living. This far country is significant in the story because it means that the son would have gone beyond the borders of Israel, probably going to a neighboring pagan nation. And remember, Jesus is telling the story, so there's a reason why he's saying this. So, why would Jesus say a distant country? Why couldn't he just said the, the, the son left and went to his friend's house? The son left and went to his neighbor's house. No, he, it says he went to a different country outside of the nation he was in. This idea of going to a different country means the son is getting away from the people who might look down on the decisions that he's going to be making. And with us also, we, when we turn away from God and and, and go our own way, we sometimes run from the people who are the closest to us and who know best from us. Getting away from the people who know God's word, who know what God would want and what God would think about the way that I'm living and the choices that I'm making. And so what we do sometimes is we say, you know what, I'm going to distance myself from those people. I'm going to get as far away as I can from those people and live the, the, the life that I think is best for me and think the way that I want to think without having those people by me judging me and looking down on me all the time. I'm going to do what I think is best and get away. And so the sun runs away just like we run away. And of course, that's when we see the sun start to backslide. And then we, in our own life, we start to backslide or we start to see other people backslide. You start to do things like you start staying away from church because you don't want the people around you inside the church building know what's going on in your life. You don't want them looking down on you and feeling judged by the people who go to church. You do things like you stop reading your Bible because every time you open up and read the Bible, you feel like you're being convicted by God. So what you do is you close it away, you put it on a shelf, and you're like, you know what? Every time I open that thing, I feel worse about myself, so I'm just going to put it away. You stop hanging out with Christian friends because they're going to tell you uh, ways that you're living maybe aren't the best for you, and maybe some solutions for you. You're like, you know what? I don't want to hear that from them. And so you shut out everybody else around you. You run away. This is the same picture of the prodigal son going off into a distant country. And we do this, and we want to go our own way sometimes, and we want to, go, we want to run away from the will of God. And when we do that, we leave the light, and we hide in the darkness. If God is light and we run away from it, then we are hiding in the darkness. Because when we do things in dark, nobody can see them. You ever notice that like when a lot of like, crime happens or bad things happen? Or maybe some of the choices you make, you do it in the dark, in a hiding place where nobody can see it. 
Because you don't want to bring it out into the light. If you bring it out into the light, other people can see it. So what we do is we hide from the light in the darkness where we feel like nobody can see us. Verse 14 says, After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So, the son gets the father's money. He, he goes to this country, and what does he do with it? He starts partying. He gets all these, these people. He starts buying drinks for people. He starts, like you're going to read, starts buying these prostitutes. He starts just having what he thinks is the best time in his life. He's throwing this money everywhere. He's got all these new friends. And then what happens is, is that the money runs out. So what happens to his friends? They run out also. They're gone. It says there's a famine and, and the, the son who had all this wealth and now has nothing. And now he's in need. And so he goes out and, and uh, he, he, he hires himself out to, to uh, a, a farmer who has pigs. Doing something that nobody, a, a respectable Jewish person, never would have done. And so... Jesus paints this picture of a lost sinner, a person who runs away from God and who wants to live according to their own selfish desires instead of what God wants. And the thing that happens to the son is slavery starts to take a hold of the person's life. John chapter 8 verse 34 says this, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, we don't use that phrase very much, slave. That's not something that we go around and just, we, we, we call people slaves. We don't say that we're slaves. We've replaced the word slave with another word that we use, and it's addiction. Because it's like a watered-down version of slave. Like my phone. I feel like I have an unhealthy addiction to my phone. I don't say I'm a slave to my phone because it makes me feel like my phone's got control over me. Like when we're having trouble with substance abuse, we say, you know, I'm addicted to alcohol. I'm addicted to these substances. But when you replace the word addiction with slave, you say, I'm a slave to alcohol. I'm a slave to these addictions. It feels like that thing is the thing that has control over your life. And But the truth is that God doesn't want us to be in slavery to sin. He wants to free us from slavery. In verse 17 it says, so the son's there, he's, he's with this farmer, he's feeding these pigs, and he realizes just the bad situation that he's in. He's in this misery. He says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And during that time, probably would have been like slave. So he's going to say to his dad, make me your slave. So he got up and went to his father. Misery and suffering have this really interesting way of catching our attention. And causing us to think clearly for the first time sometimes. Not for everybody, obviously. I know some people who are in some mega suffering. And they know they're suffering. They know they are in some misery. And, but they were just like, you know what? This is my life. I'm going to live in it. But for some, 
when you go through this total misery, is amazing. How a lot of these temptations and addictions and mess, mess that just start have rule over our minds and over our hearts just seems to melt away and we begin to see things how they truly are. And that's what's happening right here to the sun. He's starting to see clearly. And in verse 18, it's kind of cool. He starts to rehearse what he's going to say to his dad when he sees his dad for the first time. He says, you know what, dad? I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I, I shouldn't even be called your son. Make me your slave. But you notice what he doesn't say? He doesn't say this. He doesn't say, you know what, Dad? Those people, those friends, they were some really bad friends. I mean, they, they, they just let me go. And that, that guy I was working with, I mean, like, he wouldn't give me nothing, Dad. It was just hard times. He wasn't making excuses. He didn't say, you know what? I got myself here, so I'm going to get myself out of here. How many times have we heard people say that, or even we say something like that? I got myself in this situation, So I'm going to work and get myself out of it. What he also doesn't say either is like, you know what? I'm here in this situation right now feeding these pigs. I guess I better make the best of it and make it as best it can be that with what I got. No, he says, I am going to go back to my father. I'm going to turn away and I'm going to go back to my dad. This is exactly the kind of attitude that we need to have when we've been in a place of sin, when we've been living in a way that we know we shouldn't and we become aware and we've become uh, convicted of it, we should go back. Don't hide from God your Father. Go back to Him. Return to God. And that is why Jesus is telling this story, so that we can see the true heart of God. Notice the son's attitude as he goes back, saying he's going to go back to his father. He doesn't make excuses. He says, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to you, you, dad. And I'm going to leave this life of slavery. I'm going to leave this life of sin in the past that I've been living in. And I'm going to be your servant, dad. By the son becoming a slave to his dad, he's saying, I will be more free as your slave father than I am right now. That's what coming to Jesus is all about, getting free. Free from slavery of sin. Free from being driven by the flesh. To put Christ back at the top of our life. Back in the center and the core of our lives and our hearts. And when we do that, when we repent and we put Christ at the center of our life, God's word tells us that the chains of sin are released. And then we become a slave to righteousness. Rather than a slave to darkness and to sin and to death, we become a slave to light, life, and righteousness. Isn't it interesting That God chooses to use the word slavery to describe our relationship with him when we leave sin. God says, when you leave sin and you come back to me, you are a slave to me. It's kind of a paradox. Like it sounds backwards. How can you be free and be a slave at the same time? That when you become a slave to God, that is the only 
true time in your life that you have ever been truly free because God is the only one who is free. Therefore, if you are a slave to God because God is free, you therefore are also free. And this next part, remember, the story is going to help us see the heart of God towards a sinner, towards sinners who are returning to God. If you look with me in verse 20 in your Bibles, it says this. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his sons and threw his arms around him and kissed him. First of all, what do we need to notice? What does it mean that the father in the story was doing while the son was gone? How did the father see the son a long way off? It means the father wasn't just sitting in his chair, like waiting for his son to come knocking on the door and say, Hey, Dad, I'm home. No, it means the father was there waiting for him. He was there looking for his son. He was standing out, who knows, like out on the road and just looking over the horizon, waiting to see his son coming back to him. He's sitting there, he's waiting for, with all this anticipation for his son to finally return home. And when he does, the the son doesn't even get to the house. It says he goes out and the father runs to him and he throws his arms around him just like he does to us when we run back to him. He throws his arms around us and he kisses us and he floods us with love and he looks at us and grabs us and he says, you are my child. You are my son. You are my daughter. And it's so funny that the, the son can't even get the speech out that he was rehearsing to his father. The son like gets there, the father hugs him, the son's like, look dad, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against heaven, I, I can't even be called your son. And then the father just cuts him off. He's, and the father says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. And so they began to celebrate. And so the father is ecstatic. He's losing his mind. He's so happy. He's throwing a party for his son. Even the servants are celebrating with the father. And then the older son comes on scene and it says this. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? And the servant replied, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in where they were having the party. So his father went out to the older son and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving. There's that word again, slave. I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him. Isn't it funny how the one who has been the closest to the father for the longest amount of time is the one whose heart is the furthest from the Father. 
Even the, even the servants are celebrating with the father. But the oldest son, who has known the father the longest, and is his father's son, his heart is distant from his father's. The father is happy, while the older son is upset that this younger brother is receiving so much after returning home, after being so dumb, and for messing up so bad. And I know reading this story, we can look at the older son and be like, what a jerk, Right? We're like, man, your brother just came home. Like, he did something good, and you're hating on him? You're such a messed up older brother. You're such a messed up son. But the crazy thing is, is that the same thing can happen to us also. When we see somebody who's been living a life of sin, just a, just a dark, sinful life, and then they repent and become a follower of Christ, Instead of being like the Father and like God, throwing our arms around Him, like loving them and being like, yes, you are one of us. You, are, you belong to Christ. We sometimes sit at the back of the party up against a wall and we're like, yeah, right. But I know the things that that person's done. There's no way that person's actually going to follow Christ. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be like a, a month and then they're just going to walk away and go back to the old ways that they were living. Let's see how long this lasts. And we doubt this person. And we have this like resentment towards this person returning to Christ. Uh, a very extreme example. I, I, use, I like extreme things because it just, I like it and it helps me understand things better. But a very extreme example, but good example of this is Jeffrey Dahmer. Many of us know who Jeffrey Dahmer was. Jeffrey was a serial killer. He was a cannibal. He did... Lots and lots of disgusting, evil, evil, dark things. So Jeffrey Dahmer got caught. He was arrested. He got put in prison. While Jeffrey was in prison, this minister by the name of Roy Ratcliffe ministered to Jeffrey. He befriended Jeffrey. They became friends. And he would meet with Jeffrey on a, on a regular basis. He would give Jeffrey books to read. He told Jeffrey about Jesus. He told Jeffrey the gospel. And in an interview that you can find on YouTube, uh, this interviewer is talking to Jeffrey. And Jeffrey is admitting, he's saying, you know what? I didn't believe in God. I believe that we came from this puddle and this little organism just grew. And through evolution and what science teaches is that we became humans. And so in my mind, I had no higher being to live up to. I had no higher expectation to live up to. I wasn't being held accountable for any reason. So I was just doing the things and just being like, you know what, this is just how I'm going to live. But in the interview, it's so cool. And it gives me chills sometimes when I read this because you got to realize who's saying it is Jeffrey Dahmer, this, can- this cannibal serial killer. Says this in the interview. He says, out of his mouth, he says, I've since come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is the true creator of the heavens and the earth. And I've accepted him as my Lord and Savior. And I believe that as well as everybody else will be held accountable to Jesus Christ. And so, at some point, Roy Radcliffe baptized Jeffrey in the name of Jesus Christ and the rest is history. Jeffrey Dahmer confessed his faith and belief in Jesus and was baptized in the name of Jesus. And you know what is so ironic? Is the people who got the most upset about 
Jeffrey Dahmer returning to Christ were Christians. People who believe in Jesus were the people who got the most upset about Jeffrey Dahmer believing in Jesus. I've even heard some of my friends who have used Jeffrey Dahmer as an example in their own messages, people coming up to them after they've gave the message and kind of ridiculing them. How could you say his name in a church service? How could you use someone that bad as an example, thinking that there's no way God would ever accept someone as evil and as dark and as nasty as Jeffrey Dahmer? There's no way that God would allow someone like that into his kingdom. And you know what? You're right. Without Jesus, none of us should be in God's kingdom. Not a single one. I shouldn't be there without Jesus. But that's the whole purpose why Jesus came here anyways. We need Jesus so that we can be set free to live within God's kingdom. And I don't know Jeffrey's heart. I cannot see inside of Jeffrey's heart. I am not the one who is going to judge Jeffrey Dahmer's eternity. But I will tell you this. If Jeffrey Dahmer, like the prodigal son in this story, was in that prison and he was with all this misery and he was convicted and he realized that he needs to return to the Father and Jeffrey Dahmer genuinely repented and genuinely had faith in the name of Jesus Christ, then you can be sure that if you get to heaven also, Jeffrey Dahmer will see you. And you can be sure that the same way the father runs up to the prodigal son and wraps his arm around him and loves him and kisses him, that's the same way Jesus is going to react to every sinner who repents and runs to the Father, and runs to Jesus Christ, and He's going to grab us and say, You are my child. Jesus changes people. Jesus transforms people who return to Him. Jesus doesn't save good people. Jesus doesn't save clean, nice people. Jesus saves sinners who are in the darkness, who have repent back to him, and he transforms them, us, into his children. That's what the beauty of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's the beauty of what it means to come to Jesus. So my advice for all of us today, no matter where you are in your life, you've never accepted to follow Jesus Let me tell you this. You are a slave to sin. It does not look good for you. (laughs) Return to the Father. If you've not accepted Jesus in your life, then you are still walking around with those chains of sin still inside of you. You have not been set free yet. And I'm begging you. I am begging you. I'm begging every person. Come to Jesus. Follow Jesus. Don't wait. Don't be thinking like, you know, I got a bunch of time to wait. Who knows? Come to Jesus. For those of us who have been following Jesus for years, and we, we, we step our toe back into that other country, like the prodigal son does, and we start to dip our feet back into that 
fleshly way of living. My advice for you and for all of us, for me, is this. Flee from sin. Run from sin. And run into the arms of Jesus Christ. Run back to the Father. I pray this is something that we all do. Let's pray.